So I'm delighted this morning to be with, well, I would say a property entrepreneur, not just a property developer, based in Ireland, beautiful location, absolutely stunning location. When I was there in uh, late uh, 2019, even in, in the later part of the year, it was absolutely amazing business park. So look, you, you may be wondering who we're talking to this morning, Gavin J. Gallagher. Gavin, so the, the place I was describing was East Point, which is about 40 acres. I know Rod Turner likes to call it like the Disneyland. It's a little bit smaller than Disneyland, but uh, it's still a magical place. And, and to be fair, in my eyes, it's much more magical than Disneyland. Um, so amazing scenery from east point and east point dates back to have i got a date right 1974 well well the actual park we started we bought the land in 89 89 uh, and we started developing it in the early 90s so do you want to describe east point 40 acre site maybe 42 acres um, yeah I'll, t I'll explain it's it's so it's a business park that's built on reclaimed land and uh, initially the the park was actually um it was a landfill site in um, sitting in the bay uh, there's, there's an estuary that flows out from the river talca in dublin and this was all kind of wetlands and the, the local authority decided to fill it in with a landfill uh, site for about 15 years. And uh, then they sort of poured topsoil on top of it. And after so many years of being left kind of dormant, they put it up for sale. And we looked at it and bought it uh, back in 1989. And we spent a couple of years working out a master plan and what exactly would work there financially, whether it's... Uh, at one stage, we were talking about it being low, uh, low sort of density industrial sheds and things of that nature, light industrial. But um, we came around the after a while to the idea of putting in a business park there. So it's 40 acres of land. We've built 37 buildings on it. And of the 37 buildings, they range in size from around, I think the smallest building is probably around 26,000 square feet. And the largest is 110,000 square feet. And we've got about 50 uh, different occupiers, mostly multinationals, but there are a couple of indigenous Irish uh, large corporates. We actually have Enterprise Ireland, which is a semi-state body that does a lot of um, sort of work for startups, supporting startups and enterprise in Ireland. And it's in a I was going to go say ahead. it's in a fantastic location. It's is based or very similar to Stockley Park uh, for the UK listeners as well. So yeah, I it's that kind of design in terms of landscape low density. But what's what's interesting is how the city of Dublin has grown and expanded. When we built that, it was very much considered suburban a location, and now when you you know coming from the airport, you exit the tunnel and you're at East Point and you're, you know, you're a stone's throw from the Docklands and you're exactly one mile from the general post office uh, and O'Connell Street where all the tourism happens. So it's very, very, very central now, but you know, it's, it's taken a while for it to get there. It used to be sitting in the middle, you know, people viewed it as being in the middle of Dublin port, surrounded by sheds and, you know, warehouses and stuff. So I'm delighted we've got Jack Jiggins on the call this uh, morning as well. So for the listeners out there who, who don't know, Jack Jack is from EXP Property 
Jack, um, I'm, I'm just going to ask Gavin because I was fascinated to hear Gavin came along to my event in March, early March, March the 7th. And uh, it's only today I've actually listened to the podcast or, or broadcast uh, with Rod Turner and Gavin mentioned the word coronavirus in, in March. And I was amazed in early March as well. I was discussing before going live how Gavin really had an inkling that it was going to have such an impact because um, I have to admit, I, I, I downgraded the impact. Um, I didn't play it up um, by any stretch. I didn't really think it was going to have a huge impact. And obviously, um, I'm wrong. Um, so, Gavin, how did you come to that thought process so quickly? Well, um, I suppose a certain amount of it is my mindset has been uh, looking at the economy for the last couple of years and i've been thinking to myself it has been rosy for too long and um you know what goes up must come down you can't have continuous upward growth you know forever there's going to be some event that triggers some sort of a down, downturn or a recession or whatever. Now, I initially I was thinking that this was possibly going to be a Brexit-triggered event or it was going to be Donald Trump and his trade war with China or there was going to be something of that nature. Um, I also thought in, like in very early January, I thought that it was possibly going to be this uh, event in, in Iran where they, they, they took out the Iranian general in the, in, in the airport in Baghdad or whatever it was. And I, you know, I was kind of looking at these. I was sensitive to these things saying, I wonder, will this be the trigger? But everything just seemed to keep on flowing. And uh, then I, I do kind of keep an eye on global news as opposed to just local news. And when I, I saw coronavirus popping up in China and um, then I heard it had spread to Italy and I was watching this kind of thinking to myself, okay, looking at what they've done in china they have locked down the entire wuhan and the and the hubei peninsula or whatever it is that whole province and i was thinking okay the chinese government you know it being a kind of communist democracy whatever you want to call it it's, it they basically are very compliant and the government has the power to shut down everything if they want and i was thinking Italy is not going to be the same kind of, you know, reaction to it. You'll have people that break the rules the same way as it's, you know, there's a lot of black economy in Italy and Spain and you have guys paying cash onto the table and a lot of, you know, property transactions and stuff. And I thought this is going to be a different kettle of fish altogether that they will not be able to contain it. And sure enough, it started to spread. And I was just, even though at the time when I started to predict these things, I think Ireland had maybe seven cases and, London, you know, England might have had 40 or 50 cases, but you were looking at growth projections of 35% a day. And it doesn't take long to figure out that that is kind of an exponential growth curve. And if you, you know, what's, if you're growing at that kind of rate, it's going to go very, very quickly. It's going to get to large numbers. And I thought once it gets to a certain level, you're going to have everything shut down. And I started seeing it with people in East Point, it was offices that were telling their staff to work from home. And then, I mean, I think to be fair, the Irish government, I think, reacted quicker than the UK government. We had people, you know, being recommended to stay at home. And we had, uh, I mean, I, I, when I was flying to your event in early March, for this, I flew on the 6th of March. My sister was calling me up saying, Gavin, are you crazy? What are you doing getting on an airplane? Why are you going? And I said, you know, I'm going to this event. 
but I remember getting onto the tube in London and actually looking at myself surrounded by people. And I got out of the next station and I walked quite a distance to my hotel because I just thought to myself, I am actually at risk here, even though it wasn't the general view at the time. So I don't know. I, I you know, you, you, some people, you know, if you, if you keep saying something is going to fall at some point, you're going to be right, you know, and I think I just happened to be correct calling it. Um, but back in, February, I was already starting to predict that this might be the the trigger for the for the recession. Look, what's the impact on East Point in the short term, and what do you think the impact in the medium and long term, particularly the long term? The reason why I ask that is some people are talking about surface offices actually. I don't want to use the word gaining, but long term. Um, people get used to working remotely, may not ideally want to work remotely at home, but work in a co-working space. So uh, both in the immediate term and in the longer term. Well, I'll, starting with the, your East Point question, the, in the immediate term, what's happened for about now, I think three or four weeks, every single building in East Point is effectively closed and locked down. We had a couple of you know companies that stayed open until the actual lockdown, the, the government mandated stay at home order. But we have um, 9,000 people normally come into the park. And um, for about the last three weeks, I would say at the most, there might be 50 people coming into work. And those would be critical infrastructure sort of technicians. So they're the guys that keep the, the servers going because a lot of these are global businesses. Um, you know, Oracle are based in the park and it's their EMEA headquarters. So it's the whole of Europe, Middle East and Asia. And so the servers and all that kind of stuff that they maintain there are actually for servicing this part of the world. So it's critical infrastructure. Google is the same. They have uh, some confidential sort of functions that they do for clients uh, that require uh, them to be in the office. It can't be done at home because of confidentiality and all sorts of different uh, rules. So there's a few staff in, in East Point that are Google employees, but it's very, very small. Uh, Deutsche Bank have some staff working in the bank for obviously they're a bank, so they have to have some sort of functions because they're an essential service. But out of 9,000 people, I think about 8,000 950 people are sitting at home. So it's been pretty brutal in that ter in terms of that. We've shut down our bus service. We've sent our landscaping team home. We've sent our maintenance crew home. We still have our full security contingent there. That are, they're, they turn up for work every single day, uh, but they're at much less risk because they're not, being, uh, they're not being met with so many others. And then uh, in terms of the people in the park itself, um, we, some of the tenants, we have some food and beverage outlets that have all closed up. And I, and I do worry about them because it's very difficult for anyone in food and beverage to, to make back days that you're closed. So uh, I, would, I would worry about their ability to reopen, actually. And then in the case of there would be one or two uh, tenants in the park that are working in software that is servicing uh, ser uh, serves the travel and airline industry and so i'd be nervous about them and whether they can survive this in, back in 2001 when 9 11 hit we had uh, united airlines based in uh, in east point and they had an entire building and it was kind of their 
European hub for bookings, online bookings and stuff. They, within six months, that building was empty and they had closed down their entire operation and the building was, you know, basically for rent um, because they, they, had a, they had a break clause coming up, I think, and they basically walked away. So that's the basic thing there. In terms of, so short term, there's going to be some pain from the food and beverage guys. We're mostly working with multinationals. So I don't think most of them are going to be that badly affected. Most of them are technology companies. And therefore, I don't think that is a major issue for them. Um, we do have, we've had a few requests for things like, um, you know, there's a few services that are paid for by tenants. And we've actually had two requests from tenants if they can park that now. They don't wish to pay for it at the moment. Little things like that start to indicate that people are definitely cutting costs and cutting back. And um, in, in the longer, medium and longer term, um, I don't think, one of the things I'd be worried about is, is just, we had a 99.9% occupancy, so we were pretty, in pretty good shape. Um, but everyone had growth plans and projections to increase their headcount. And I actually kind of think to myself that those would probably all be capped now. There won't be any, anybody hiring for the foreseeable future. And therefore, plans people had to expand and take on extra space. We're very fortunate that we have 99.9% occupancy. Um, I do think people that are trying to fill up empty offices around the city could actually be a little bit nervous right now because it's, it's not sure. Now, one of the things you're talking about, uh, co-working and, uh, and shared flexible office and stuff, I think there, there's two sides to that argument. First of all, my prediction is that WeWork is going to go wallop. Um, I think that the I've been I I've been listening to various views out there in the market, and I would agree with SoftBank had to save face um, uh, by injecting that eight eight billion into the company to keep it going, and uh, they had agreed to do that, and now I believe that that is actually on hold. So I think that this coronavirus situation is actually going to be the cover they need to save face and to actually just walk away from the business and it'll go into chapter 11 or whatever. Now the business will probably survive insofar as, you know, we work will still be a brand and there will be still, we work venues all over the place, but I actually think that it'll be under new ownership, whether that's bondholders or, you know, the banks that lent them money or whatever. And I think that the, there will probably be, dozens of locations that are marginal shut down and just the ones that are their bread and butter, they'll go back to the basics. So that's my prediction on WeWork. But in terms of the, I mean, I don't think co-working is going away, but one thing is for sure, people are working at home at the moment. And my personal experience of working at home is that productivity goes through the floor. I have kids in the house going crazy because they're not at school and it's extremely hard to have a productive day when you have children running around the house and they want to want, they want to go for a walk. They want you to play. They don't understand that you've got a, you know, a job to do. Mm. So I think anyone with a young family is going to be gagging to get back to the office to actually just be able to get through their, you know, their workload and stuff. Although economically because of the downturn, probably people's workloads is going to reduce somewhat anyway, but okay, people okay. who are, sorry, go ahead. I just want to bring Jack in as well. Jack, did you, have yeah, a... I'm, I'm, I'm all ears. I'm, I'm paying attention. I, th I think that um, I work from home 
regardless of corona or anything i don't i don't have any kids um so i can i can get a productive day in um and i agree with gavin that people will be craving to get out and about because you do sort of get a bit stir crazy i think it's very bad for um alternative or creative thinking i think if you're constantly in the same place you're not going to be thinking outside the box or or looking at your business from a different perspective so i completely agree for non-business owners people like to get out and go to work and they get in that mindset i think there's going to be a big shift on pattern of change and and what people do do so I think there is going to be more of a balance of working from home versus working in the office. And um, when kids do go back to school, you know, there may be a couple of days from home and a, and a few days in the office. But I completely agree. It's a, there's a lot of change. Well, the immediate change is lockdown and that's not benefiting anyone's business. But I do think there is business change coming, which will change the characteristics of what, what offices do. But I think, uh, Gavin's well ahead of that anyhow um, from pre prerequisitely speaking and hearing about what he offers his tenants I can recall I think it was on the broadcast one of his tenants turned around looking for more space for expansion but in reality they just needed to remodel their use um, so Gavin's right on the on the point of you know that there is ways to get around things and this is mostly hitting the companies that should have been doing this regardless of of this this big impact if you look at where gavin said we work will still be a company they'll get rid of their loss leaders why weren't they doing that before it's it, it makes you wonder why their business is taking in loss leaders it's the same as waitrose and john lewis since last year just before brexit hit they were their own two entities they had their own two overheads they had their own uh, PR, they had their own HR, they had their own marketing, and they were part of the same company. That's two lots of overheads that they didn't need. And they were almost just too stubborn and prestige to just say, let's bring this under one bracket, reduce our costs, but keep the same output. They've now done that because of Brexit, but they should have been doing that a long time ago. Um, so I think it's making a lot of, uh, you know, it, when, when it's not growth, you can, you can really focus on, what you're doing wrong so and i know that gavin's certainly done that with his with his estate from the outset um i had had a question for for gavin um about your tenants because you mentioned that most of your tenants are software based and you have such a high occupancy rate of your unit do you have a specific process for taking in tenants i know that you had uh, I, I believe uh, a service accommodation provider approach you to to take some space, but it didn't fit your model, which I you know admire that you you uh, you actually vet the people coming in. So, what is your process for getting tenants in? Well, we're very uh, we're very careful about we've we, you know we've been in business long enough to know that no business is completely secure, and so you've got to be very very careful. The day you rent your building is the day you sell your building, and if you have a crappy tenant, uh, like a tenant with, you've got guys that are very you know new and shiny, and you know they're they're in the newspapers all the time. But you go and have a look at their balance sheet, and you see that they're massively in the red or something, and so you've got to we do an awful lot of investigation into the, into the finances, make sure that these companies are going to stand the test of time, that they don't have, you know, red ink all over the place. 
and and that is a you know there's a there's an art to that so we we put a lot of attention into that because you just know that as soon as there's a downturn you could be looking at guys closing the business and we've had situations in the past where tenants have come to us and they've looked for you know rental holidays they've looked for reductions in rent you know and we've negotiated with them on occasion where we think it's you know warranted one of the bits of advice i would give everybody out there now because i having gone through this before i think a lot of people are going to start seeing they're going to start getting approached by people saying look can't afford the rent can we can we agree and can we negotiate uh, you know a downturn or a reduction in the rent and one of the issues with doing that is that well i mean we're first hold on a second the most important thing the most important thing is obviously to listen to your tenants you don't want to alienate because i'm all about relationships and reputation and you want to make sure that you know you're maintaining a good relationship and a professional relationship but i do i am aware that some companies will be profitable but they will use the downturn as a as a good reason as good cover to start looking for um, cuts across the business so they might do salary cuts they might do look for rental reductions they might look for all of these things but actually their profitability hasn't really been impacted so they're using it as cover and so you just have to make sure that you're not being sort of fooled by that so if we are approached by anybody looking for any kind of a rent reduction we're not we're not a closed door but we will expect them to take us through their accounts and show us why this is the only thing they can do because we found in the past that the tenant you know one of our tenants in one of our buildings they approached us wanted a rent reduction we wanted to be seen as the, the you know the good guys with you know and we said yeah absolutely no problem what do, what were you thinking and they said can we get 25% reduction so we agreed to that and it was only about a year or two later that we discovered that they they actually had done some sort of a transaction where the building was being rented by them personally and so the company was paying them the rent in full but we were giving them the reduction and so they weren't actually suffering anything personally but they had asked us to go and shoulder this burden uh, so that they could give you know. so you got to look behind the numbers and you got to make sure that this is a genuine need. And, you know, if guys are taking pay cuts, if got, you know, if there's been headcount reduction, then it's fair enough. You know, they are taking pain and they are, but you can't just be the first kind of guy to show up and say, yeah, no problem. I'll give you a reduction. Obviously you've got your own overhead to cover. You've got yeah. uh, bank debt and things like that. But I don't think getting into, you know, if you look at it carefully, you can save a guy from going under because what you don't want is an empty building because the guy went wallop. Yeah, that's yeah. that's that's worse situation. But you just don't want to be foolish about it and just immediately agree to it. You do need a little bit of understanding as to, well, okay, explain to me, show me your costs, show me where you've already taken some cuts and that we're not the first people that you're calling, basically. Yeah, interesting. The, uh, the um, we, We've currently got... Um I manage a portfolio whereby uh, a franchise have had a franchise operator come into our unit and go wallop before COVID. And we've now got a new franchise operator coming in fresh start and the franchisee. And we're currently in this like three way negotiation of what's going on. Obviously the COVID-19 is playing a big impact and it's what you offer someone that hasn't got a, 
a you know a, a pre you know historic payment plan with you or, or anything, and the franchise operator are sort of pushing everyone around at their at their sort of benefit because they're sat there as a guarantor, but they don't have to take the lease in that's now on their lap. And quite interestingly, I don't, I don't know if you made it onto the the the, the Zoom call yesterday, Gavin. Um, but John Howard was on the call and he has a rule of thumb that if the tenant is smaller than him, he will offer them flexibility. If the tenant is larger than him, he won't at all. He'll make them pay, which I thought was a really uh, ingenuitive way to look at it. Because in, in my specific scenario, the franchise company are bigger than me, but the franchise operator is smaller than me. So I've offered those exact terms. If, the fra- if, there, if there's no franchise operator in, in, in lieu, I'm going to legals for my payments. If the franchise operator steps in, I'm going to give them some form of rent-free period or, or whatever it may be. So it was quite a simple uh, but diplomatic way of, of looking at it. Uh, and I think it, you know, it, it, it falls in with exactly like you say, the, the company that were still paying full rent were obviously you know, a larger outfit than the individuals taking the slice. So probably wasn't quite fair on, on your part, but it's uh, interesting to hear. And I think there's a lot of people that didn't realise how much of a close relationship you should have with your tenants until this time has come. And I think you've always been pretty hot on, on dealing with tenant relationship and the ongoing operations of, the, of your park. Aaron, are, you, are you really? Yeah, sorry, Ben. No, 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 go ahead. I was just going to say, you really do need to be on top of uh, your, you know, first of all, you need to know what your tenants do. You need to know whether they're going to be impacted by any kind of, you know, sector of the market. And, and so obviously that's one thing I'm very conscious of is the travel and airline industry is obviously suffering massively. You're mm-hmm. going to have airlines going bankrupt. Uh, the the wall and the need bailouts from the government and stuff. So providing software services to that sector definitely looking at a major major downturn so you got to know your tenant you got to have a relationship with them so that they're you know they can you know you understand what they're doing you understand if they come to you looking for a, a you know a reduction in rent you have the you have to have the kind of you have to have a frank conversation say okay look I'm not against it in theory but prove to me that you know you're making cuts across the board that i'm not just the first port of call you know Gavin, I just want to bring in about your podcast, which is coming up, which is behind the facade. Is that correct? Correct. To- yeah, I'm, ho- I'm hoping to launch in the next week. Um, behind the facade is it's going to be a podcast, and I'm going to talk about a lot of the of my experience over the years. The 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 three areas that I'm focused on in, in terms of storytelling and stuff is inspiration innovation and impact and those are the three areas that kind of most sort of motivate me and uh, the initial topic that i'm going to cover is obviously this COVID 19 recession downturn whatever you want to call it and the fact is it's the mental game so behind the facade the idea is is it's obviously a building but behind behind it there's always a, a story and there's either a story about the physical building or the people that put the building together. So it's this first few episodes, I'm going to focus on the mental game that is the real estate business and, and how to survive in this COVID-19 crisis. Because there's, there's a lot of stuff that's going to go bad in the next couple of months. And I, and I have lost friends and relatives 
to suicide um, over the years because of very, very negative, you know, they go into depression over financial issues and things like that. And I do think a lot of people are actually going to be caught by this. I already am aware of two suicides recently caused. Now, nobody says what the cause is, but, you know, it's in the middle of this coronavirus thing. So you, you can kind of put two and two together and you start to make assumptions that I bet you they just weren't ready for this and financially their family is going to suffer and whatever. So it's all about the game, um, the mental game that's going on. How do you think? How do you protect yourself? How do you protect your mindset? And then how do you lay out, you know, what are the steps and the roadmap ahead in order to because this one thing that this recession will do is produce huge opportunity for people who are in the right in the right place at the right time so i got caught in the last recession insofar as i wasn't prepared for it and i am prepared for this one but i wasn't prepared the last time and prices dropped 80 percent. so you could have picked up buildings for very very little and i couldn't take up i couldn't take advantage of that so there will be people out there who are obviously going to be on the on the negative side of that they're going to be watching their portfolio drop but there'll be other people out there that were in the right place at the right time and it's so that's kind of what the the podcast is going to focus on and, and gavin just before we go to the opportunity and if there's any questions from jack feel free because it's just going to be about the opportunity the podcast how will it operate will it be daily weekly monthly uh what, is there a particular time frame and is it just yourself or are you going to bring guests in because there's lots of different po- podcast formats it's a it's a it's going to be a weekly and it's going to be a little bit of a hybrid uh, so i'm going i have interviewed a number of people already um, that are going to be introduced but i'm also going to have episodes where it's just me recounting either you know, stories, uh, experiences that I've gone through and the lessons that I learned. So at your conference, I talked about the three E's and the six O's. And those are, I've, I've actually got quite a number of little things that I've worked out over the years, the stuff that you need to have at the back of your mind when you're doing a deal, when you're preparing to, to go into this business in the first instance, uh, the, the way to avoid major negative downturns and, and and just how to avoid getting yourself into trouble. I mean, there's a few things I could have done to actually avoid all the pain. And now in retrospect, I can kind of say, well, you know, I won't get caught again. Uh, but sometimes these negative experiences are the best lessons. It's like I, I consider myself to have done an MBA, uh, the most expensive MBA in the world. Um, and that's and that's how I look at it. So I, I'm kind of keen to help other people um, to avoid the hardship and and just not to have people in that mindset where they feel like they're depressed and they're really panicking. And uh, there's various strategies I've developed over the years to try to avoid that. Gavin, my, my final question is on the opportunities. Do, do you have a final question, Jack? Um, ask your question about the, the opportunities. I might have a, a, a follow-up advance on that. Sure. So, Gavin, do, do you want to just explore the opportunities in a little bit more detail? Would you see them being in commercial, residential space? I did hear Rod Turner broadcast interview where you've got a development at the moment, I think, of 30 houses just outside of London, for example, as well. So you've Correct. got UK-based yes. knowledge. Yeah, we're starting to look at the UK, actually, as a group. And um, we have a place in uh, a place called Downham Market. We have uh, 
we're, we've just got obtained planning permission now to go ahead and build, I think the number is like either 27 or 30 houses or 35. I can't remember the exact number because it changed over during the planning process. But um, we're starting to wonder what to do about that now because obviously the housing market will bounce back. And so, you know, at some stage we're going to, we're going to go over there and probably either build them out or partner up with somebody to actually develop that. But we're also looking at, I mean, if you look at the current situation that we're in, a lot of people were saying that residential uh, rentals were, were a great business to be in, that you never had a downturn. And look at us now, you have probably the majority of people that are looking for savings in their, um, in their rent are the guys that are, you know, have residential port, residential tenants and the tenant has either lost his job or he has been, um, you know, laid off uh, or just put on less hours um, or, you know, on furlough or whatever it is. Those are the guys that are all looking for a holiday now in the rent. And obviously a landlord has debt to pay and stuff like that. So that's going to be something that it's going to create a problem for anyone with a residential portfolio. Obviously, if you go and pool together with a group of investors and you can do something like buy a large, larger office building and have a tenant that was like a multinational who's in a strong position. I, as I said at your, um, at your conference, I had the banking before, um, the, the big financial banks. Those guys are pretty strong. They tend to pay their rent on time. You don't have situations where they are... Um, where they're, you know, they're, they're in trouble. So, sorry, in terms of, um, just one sec, can you just hold for one second? My daughter's coming Yes, here. yes, by all means. Jack, so any thoughts on what, what Gavin said? So we're, we're going to bring Gavin in just a moment. So, um, yeah, I mean, it's, uh, it's really interesting to see that Gavin um, is, is basically prepared to, capitalize in this this current market there's i don't think there's a lot of people that are prepared for this corona downturn i think a few a few well the majority of the people that i know were planning on a bit of growth for the next few years and expecting some form of blip uh, there was a lot of pent-up demand here uh, because of uh, of brexit and there was known to be a little bit of a bounce back of confidence and and activity post brexit uh, well actually post uh, referendum and 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 also post brexit so i think i think a lot of people had their 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 visions too too out of focus and too far in the future where gavin seems to be a bit more linear and waiting for the right timing which is uh, uh interesting to hear because we've been caught on, on one of our projects that we need to refinance and the banks are, are difficult to work with at the minute fortunately we have uh, flexibility in our projects so we, we we're going to work through that um Gavin, I know that a lot of you've mentioned that you believe residential landlords will be feeling this due to tenants, i.e., the consumer um, having a dramatic impact and change in their job or income or disposable income. Um, I also think there's going to be opportunity across across all boards. Really, I think that there's going to be businesses which sell freeholds and then lease back. There's going to be businesses that, that just fold, which reduces the value of the commercial units. There's going to be residential portfolios. There's going to be residential units which become available. Uh, there's obviously going to be a loss of confidence and disposable income for, for first-time buyers and, and, and investors and buy-to-letters. Um, 
but how do you foresee, let's say, for example, this, you know, we don't know how long the, the COVID is going to last in terms of lockdown, but come the time when lockdown's over, I'm under the impression that commercial tends to take a quicker bounce back and, and a slightly, uh, what I like to say, slower view on, on, on a recession. And residential takes a bit more of a hit until confidence comes back in the economy. Um, but what opportunities are you going to be capitalising on uh, from the outset and what you know what do you how do you think it looks so uh, from a from a landscape perspective I'm, I'm getting the impression you're probably going to focus more on commercial but if you weren't you know fine tooth comb looking at commercial where do you see the opportunity would you look at commercial first like you know smaller units below 5,000 square foot uh, would you then look at larger ones like you said and get big operator in when it comes to residential would you look at that at a slightly later date or you know, where do you see the, the, the landscape of it when it starts to, to improve again? Uh, well, it, there's a number of areas that I'd be looking at. I mean, first of all, there's going to be a major knock in confidence, um, consumer spending. There's going to be everything is going to be impacted by this. So I think there's going to be a complete repricing of the market. I think all prices are going to drop across the board. So, you know, yields will soften on commercial properties prices will fall in residential stuff uh, you know projects that people had expected to get a certain level for they won't they won't achieve that level now so there's going to be banks stepping in there's going to be various issues like that and it's going to take a while for this all to settle down i i can see this i see this as a two to three year you know kind of market blip i don't think this is going to be first of all you just don't know with this coronavirus you do not know how it's going to work from the point of view of, um, you know, is it going to be resolved in one go or is there going to be rolling, rolling locked, uh, lockdowns? You know, if this, thing is, if this thing is done incorrectly, you could have a situation where we're all allowed back to work only for us to have to go and lockdown again in November or something like that. So yeah. it's, it, there, there's an awful lot of risk until a vaccine is found that you could find yourself okay now let's you know get back to normal and then find that oh damn there's another lockdown coming or because that's the risk with the spanish flu um yeah it came uh, back yeah and from my understanding listening to adam lawrence i don't know if it's correct but i presume it is the spanish flu the second or third phases were worse than the first phase um yeah. look I, most people can't imagine anything getting worse than this uh, I can imagine, you know, I don't, I, I don't think anyone saw anything like this being possible, let alone the severity of it. But here we are. And I, I just think there's a risk. First of all, we're a global economy. So you've got people that are out there, you know, buying stuff from China and it's been shipped here or wherever it is. You're going to have places in the world that do not recover as quickly, that do not succeed to knock out coronavirus as quickly i mean in ireland we have about five thousand cases now you know you guys are much worse affected by it but let's say these lockdowns work and in six weeks time you know you start to see it fall off and then maybe in six months time there's no more coronavirus but who's to say that india pakistan all of these countries are, are not still rampant with it and those guys, I mean, you're just going to have to prevent those countries from traveling into your country in order. So it's going to impact the global economy, I think. You're going to have countries that don't reopen 
to you know early because they're being extra cautious you're going to have other countries that are not as cautious saying let like listen to donald trump saying when to get back open again by april seems like they finally got through to him that that's a disaster but he he's under a lot of pressure from a lot of his different you know billionaire buddies to get everything going again and i and i i can see them reopening too early and actually a second bout coming along but time will tell um so that, that would be the worry in terms of the area jack asked about specific areas i do think warehousing and the ability to store one thing that has become clear is that everybody should be in in online trading um and so because of that i think the storage of goods uh warehousing i mean amazon have apparently hired an extra hundred thousand employees to cope with the demand that they're going through so you can just imagine how much additional warehouse space they're going to need and and i think it's going to be across the board so warehouses are great in terms of the simplicity of them as well you can buy it on a you know the yield compared to any other kind of form of investment is pretty good and to build a warehouse you can buy a plot of land and you can have a building ready in six months compared to you know 18 months for traditional kind of construction so all of that i think points to something i would certainly be looking at that area in terms of investment uh, offices i don't think offices are going away i do think that this period that we're all cooped up will continue um i just think that some of the appetite for you know the investments will taper off obviously residential interesting i was just saying yesterday to somebody that if you if you were looking at your portfolio of residential accommodation and looking at the different jobs that were impacted um, and thinking about the future i would say that anybody who has predominantly medical employees are in a pretty good shape in terms of their you know that those guys are not running out of you know anybody who's in an essential job essential services is not going to be losing their job but a lot of these businesses that are in any kind of uh, that have any kind of connection with social distancing and stuff like that so gyms pubs restaurants they all those guys have been laid off in their hundreds of thousands and so i i suspect in the future we might actually look at what what type of job you have in that context and, and whether or not that is a risk to your portfolio. Gavin, I, I know Jack's probably got more questions, but I do want to keep this call under an hour. I'll do my best. I promised it would be a lot less than that. Final words. We mentioned your uh, podcast. Just to remind the listeners uh, of the title again, Gavin, and behind, how people... Behind the Facade. And you'll find it on iTunes probably in about a week's time. So let's say the, uh, the middle of April. I'm aiming for the 14th of April. And people can connect with you on your blog as well, which is gavinjgallagher.blog. Jack, I just want to say massive thanks for people connecting or you being here today. Um, and people can find out more about you by joining in on month or on weekly, not even monthly, on Mondays at 10 a.m. So um, via Zoom. So that's a platform I'm using. Jack, I just want to say massive thanks for being a, a guest alongside Gavin today on the, it's become a commercial hour. So thank you. The pleasure um, was mine. Thank you. Company of Gavin. To the listeners Delighted. as well. No problem at all, Brendan. Always happy. And if anyone has any questions on preparing for this downturn, I was looking at a couple of um, groups, online uh, Facebook groups and stuff in the property space. 
And I can remember reading a lot of the comments about a month ago and people were like, oh, this is all being overblown by the media and stuff. I think people are now realizing that that is not the case. And this is a very, very serious economic downturn that we're facing into. And so there's, there are some very definite changes you need to make to your portfolio, to your business overhead, all of that. And so if anyone has any questions on that, feel free to reach out to me on social or whatever. Thank you.